With 25% off all new and up to 70% off previously leased furnishings, do you really need a better reason to party? We don't think so. Come visit our new Court Furniture Clearance Center with more than 9,000 square feet of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home and office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. Free food, prizes, and fun all weekend long at our Chandelier Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Edition of Troy Noons is an absolute podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, 2-0 start to the season we all really, really care about. Uh, there's nothing else happening in Syracuse sports. Not a... Nope, not, not a sport. Um, in all seriousness, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your perspective, um, the Syracuse Orange football team does have two more games. Uh, Dan, your at least initial thoughts on the Clemson game. I know... Um, Obviously, it was great to see us really fighting into the fourth quarter with the number one team in the nation. Um, but does this do more harm than good? Uh, I don't think it does more harm than good. I just think it's pretty much a, a, a net neutral result. I don't think um, when you're three and six, uh, dropping a game ever is, is all that helpful. I, I guess I'd rather lose by 10 points and look uh, really game to play a Clemson team, but it still raises the questions about you know, why couldn't this team bring the same effort against USF or or even look this competent in Florida State? Or And, and obviously, the Louisville team was a, was a disaster. So, um, obviously, you want to take away some positive things from a 10-point a loss, which honestly was, was just that close, if not a little closer, um, considering Syracuse outstored Clemson through the last, like, 58 minutes of the game. But... Um, it just it, it it almost like makes me more annoyed about how the the previous six games worked out. Yeah, I mean, and we said the same after LSU. Like, you know, wow, great for us. Like, really putting in um, you know a solid effort against a great team. Problem is, um, you know, you need to kind of follow through um, and, and not just have a great effort, but actually win the game. Um, I mean, USF's turned things around. That's one thing. Um, Louisville's going to be bowl-bound. That's another. But then, you know, you look at the Virginia game. I mean, Pitt's a good team. But um, winnable games that aren't won at some point need to count against you. And this isn't a, a call for, for Schaefer's head. This is more of a just, a just an overall point that you can only have so many moral victories um, until they're just losses. Yeah, and, you know, we've already seen this exact game with the LSU. I mean, it was the same... Um, difference. It was ba- almost exactly the same score. Um, obviously, three points sets are perfect for each team, but like, like you said, we played Clemson close last year. We played Florida State close last year. Um, it, it's just really frustrating uh, that this team seems to be able to hang with good teams like this on occasion, but won't break through, and then doesn't, uh, you know, they don't let those performances translate when the stakes maybe seem slightly lower or against teams that they should be competitive with. So it, it, I, I'd love to be taking moral victory away from this, and I think you still can to a, to a certain extent, but at some point it's starting to ring hollow when the results just aren't there in the other games. Um, and, and we saw the same thing last year. I mean, we could have beaten Clemson at Death Valley, and, you know, that was fun to, to think about, but when you're going 3-9, and nine, I mean, you can only take so much away from the two games against top 10 opponents that are ultimately... You know they're part. They're two of the nine losses. They're not. You know, uh, 
leading to better things. Right. And I think that's what everyone needs to keep in mind on both sides of the argument um, with regard to Scott Schaefer's tenure is that um, everything that happens needs to lead to something. And, and no, it's not always going to show in the win-loss record, but um, you know, it, it needs to lead to something. It needs to lead to something that you can start to be able to touch and, and, and see, even if it's you know minimal. I mean, I, I would say, like case in point, you know, Doug Marone's first year, no, um, four and eight didn't seem like leaps and bounds forward just on a wins-loss standpoint. But if you looked at the team, if you looked at how competitive they were, if you looked at how competent they were on offense, um, the fact that they were competitive in most games um, with, you know, a former point guard at, at quarterback, um, all, all these things, um, to, to see a team that was four and eight and really wasn't that far away from six and six, um, I think gave us hope for the future. This year, I'm not gonna say that there's no hope for the future because I very much think there is and I think you know we're a couple bad we're a couple bad bounces away from you know one and nine just like we're a couple good bounces away from five and five or so um but yeah I, I think that if we like if we lose out here it's gonna be very tough to to get those same kind of you know warm fuzzies that we felt at, at the end of the first year of the Marone era and now um, you know, this isn't the first year of Schaefer either. This is year three, um, and it's kind of w- weird to me um, to hear anyone kind of talking about full rebuild when that never should have been the case. Yeah, there are a lot of really false equivalencies being made um, by, you know, people who are, are very gung-ho about keeping Schaefer, and, and obviously there's still games to be played, and, and the NC State and BC games very much do matter for him. Um, even if we can't make a bowl or, or we had like 99% chance we won't make a bowl based on the, the five and seven stuff that's going on. But um, like people have been making the coach Mack comparison, which obviously coach Mack followed um, uh, Maloney, who was G Rob, not quite as bad as G Rob, but um, similar effect on the program. And it took coach Mack a while, but uh, we're just also not living in the 1970s and 1980s where coaches debt, five, six years. Um, it's a much quicker turnaround. Um, people, there, there, there are more games. Uh, there's more information available and more information to glean. There's more teams. Um, the whole college football world has changed. So you can't compare Schaefer, what Schaefer is doing now to what Coach Mack did then for just a whole host of reasons. So I don't know. I, I think there, there are valid points um, to be made in his favor in terms of staying patient and uh, seeing through the process. I just think that the Coach Mack uh, comparison and then the Dave Cutcliffe comparison that we see all the time, like the situations are so much different. Duke had been bad for pretty much since Spurrier left, and that was a quick, you know, blip in the radar for Duke's entire program. Like they've been bad for pretty much the entirety of the of the uh, history of the program, and it took Cutcliffe a while, but Cutcliffe also had uh, kind of had been a head coach before. He had gotten kind of a raw deal. Um, he had obviously been the, the tutor to the Manning brothers. Uh, so he had a lot more going for him, too. And Duke had reason to be patient because they had never been good. It wasn't like there was um, something to fall back on just four years before, like where Schaefer, you know, was following Marone, who, you know, people, for whatever reason, Marone's still this super hot-button topic around Syracuse fans. But um, he was quite successful, especially considering where he was coming from following Greg Robinson. So I just think those two comparisons are really uh, 
they're just they, they don't ring true when you actually look at the context of where Coach Mack and where Dave Cutcliffe are coming for their respective jobs. And it's a bit tiring to see those wheeled out when there are far better um, examples to use in terms of what Schaefer or why Schaefer deserves to stick around for another year plus. Yeah, I think that's what's most frustrating to me. And I think uh, we saw it a lot in the comments today, I think all week. Um, there aren't a lot of people vehemently, vehemently fighting to fire Schaefer. Um, you know, and, and I would include myself in that. Like, I'm not, I'm not vehemently, you know, fighting for it. And if he wins the next two games, it's going to be very hard for me to just to say with 100% certainty that, that he should leave. I just think the folks that are defending him are just doing such a lazy, hackneyed job of it. And you're hearing... Um, and this is, I don't want to turn this into an attacking people who defend Schaefer. You can defend Schaefer all you want. I just think it, if you're going to defend someone, make sure that you have, you know, cogent and, and tangible points together. And I just don't think, you know, it, it's the stuff about Cutcliffe. You hear it from the fan base and then suddenly, you know, Schaefer's parroting it and vice versa. Schaefer says the team's young, deal with a lot of injuries. Every one of his defenders seems to say the same things. Like you can't. You can't lean on those things forever. Um, and like you said, the, the Cutcliffe th- the comparison's a joke. McPherson, despite the fact that he struggled to make a bowl game for a few years, he still was going like five and six. Um, so, it, it, you know, it's not as if he was bottoming out. He was still fielding a competitive team. Um, there, there, there are defensible points for Schaefer. And, and, and I think that, you know, that's, that's getting lost in the shuffle and in this conversation because those defending him just aren't aren't doing a good job of portraying why he should stay. The good guy, crap, that trope's a joke. Every guy's a good guy until he's a bad guy. Um, that, that's just how it works. Um, I, I think that if you wanted to defend Schaefer, there, there's some easy things to latch on to. Um, the competitiveness against LSU and <coughs> excuse me, um, Clemson are, are you know some of those things. Uh, the progress uh, of certain offensive skill players... Um, or another, but I wouldn't latch on to the progress of the offense. I, I would say as far away as I could from the defense. Um, you could talk about youth, but only if you've been talking about it all season. Um, you know, it, it's there are defense points there, and I think that you know one of the bigger ones that that I give some credence to is the like, well, you know, this this is we know how things are right now, and maybe it's worth rolling the dice on one more year of this. Versus what could be a potential teardown, um, and and I think that you know there there is some weight to that. But you look at all these other programs that have really kind of stopped on a dime, um, and, and and changed things very quickly. And I just it's getting harder and harder to buy that logic that 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 you know why not SU Temple can do it, Memphis can do it, Houston obviously um, is able to go from 500 to a potential undefeated team. But there's a lot of you know programs around the country that are able to win six games with a lot of regularity in a lot more dire straits than we are financially, in a lot weirder um, geographies than we are. It just, it's getting harder and harder to believe that that SU, with, with a, at least a competent coach, um, you know, can't win six games every year. Yeah, and it's interesting because a lot of the defense has been that he has built this really strong, young roster. Um, I think now might even, it, it, you could argue that it would even be a better time to make a move like that because instead of rebuilding from the from you know the start and obviously you know there there are things to take into consideration with system and whatnot but uh, the, the the roster isn't totally gutted like it was um, even when I know people argue that Robinson recruited better than Marone and, and uh, Schaefer but um, 
when Marone took over, uh, there were a lot of players who he determined just for either personality-wise or ability-wise were just not cut out to play for his program. So some of it's on him, but basically we had major depth issues for almost his entire tenure here based on the the uh, great uh, cutting of many players. I mean, for lack of a better term, he basically cut them. Um, which isn't, you know, the best, the prettiest thing to say about college sports, but it, it is a reality uh, up until we get four-year guaranteed scholarships. But um, Schaefer has left, you know, there isn't a ton of depth as we've seen with some of the injuries, but there is a lot of, uh, of talent. And you can make the argument that if you bring in a coach who is more proven, who has shown that he can lead a football team, um, who's been a head coach before, um, he's inheriting a pretty good situation rather than, a total rebuild, and while some coaches might like the idea of rebuilding a program on their image, uh, I'm sure there are others who would look at the Syracuse team and say, hey, these guys are not that far away. There's some good talent. They've won with Clemson two years in a row, and Clemson's going to be a playoff team. Um, obviously, they're not ready to make that kind of jump, but it could be a, a, an idea for some coaches where, hey, this, these guys are not that far away. This is a better situation than what Syracuse looks like uh, on paper as a private school in New York. There's some real talent here, so um, Schaefer deserves some credit for that, but I think you need to look and see, is Schaefer the best possible coach available? Um, I've seen people, I forget who it was, or if it was on, on our site or, or elsewhere, but someone said, you know, Hoyle should look at it as Schaefer is a candidate for the job next year. What, is there someone else you would hire ahead of him, or is he the guy you would, you would tap? And I don't know if it's quite that, uh, I don't know if that's quite a, a fair thing to say, but it, it does make it interesting. Like, is Schaefer the best guy um, that you could possibly get as Syracuse going into this market, which admittedly is pretty flooded? Uh, it's hard to, to defend when there are so many games that have been left on the table uh, the last couple of years. Um, so I, I respect whatever they choose to do. Uh, I know it's not an easy decision, and it's not an obvious one like it was with Robinson, who was definitely given a year too many. Um, but I don't think uh, you can just automatically say, based on what we've seen, that he is definitely the best coach uh, available for this team heading into 2016. No, I agree, and you know what? Uh, I mean, there was a really, really comprehensive list on the site, and it's one we're probably going to call it all up a lot um, in the coming weeks, no matter what happens. Um, I think Nola Hughes um, put that together, and it was uh, upward to 25 uh, folks, all of whom, you know, are... are reachable by by some measure obviously you know some more than others but you know there's definitely candidates out there i think brought up a lot of great points um, and i'm going to try to keep it as concise as possible um with regard to the the, the recruiting and, and personnel stuff in particular you know um i've said this about recruiting for a long time uh and it just seems like it goes in one ear and out the other and i'm not the only one who says it either but it goes in one ear and out the other with a lot of fans of you know you can recruit well all you want but a but a bad coach can turn you know good and great recruits into good and bad recruits and a great coach can turn good recruits into great recruits um you know recruiting is important of course and you should get talent in the door but what you do with that talent is far more important and i know sean said this today and some people seem to try to refute him on the site and but but it is true you know it you you look at all these all these four-star kids that we've we've had on the books and they haven't been brought in um you look at all these you know well-regarded three stars that haven't worked out and not just us or anyone you know at the end of the day no one cares how many four and five stars 
um, you had if you didn't do anything with them. Um, and I think that's, you know, in some ways why, you know, a guy like Les Miles, who's recruited so well and had so much NFL talent on his roster, you know, he's at this point, I, I don't agree that, that he should be on the hot seat, but, you know, he's four years removed from, from a title, um, and at least. Uh, and, you know, with all that NFL talent, he really, he's, he's gone too long without winning it. Um, obviously, he has to contend with Alabama every year, which has just as much NFL talent. But um, point is that, you know, good coaching can, can do a lot with, with recruits regardless of their talent level. The weird thing is, though, you know, we have depth issues now. We had depth issues when Marone arrived. Why do we have depth issues now? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, given that, you know, it wasn't a teardown rebuild. Um, there, there were pieces in place and pieces that, that got Syracuse to a bowl in, in Schaefer's first season. Um, all, all of that's true. So it seems weird to me now that we have all these depth issues and, you know, we have to throw in, um, you know, walk-ons at quarterback and, and, and we have to see uh, red shirts burned unnecessarily. Um, I would also mention that, you know, Marone really coached up kids that, that star-wise were not there. I mean, Chandler Jones being the shining example there, along with Ryan Nassib and others. Um, but one of the other coaches on that staff was Scott Schaefer. Um, and that, to me, I think the most perplexing part is it, did Schaefer have little to do with it then, or did he hire the wrong guys under him now and he's not able to coach them up the same way he, he did as a positional coach or, a, you know, as a coordinator? Uh, the depth thing is, is interesting. I've been trying to figure out the answer, and um, I'm, I'm actually looking now. I don't remember how many guys we brought in uh, in that first Schaefer uh, turnaround, but it definitely wasn't like when Marone took over and we had a recruiting class of 13. I think it was pretty close to a uh, full class. Um, so the numbers should be there. Obviously, there have been injuries, especially last year, this year to a slightly lesser extent, um, more than the average team suffers. Um, last year was ridiculous. This year, obviously, the quarterbacks um, are easy to point to, but overall, I think it, it's uh, fairly normal, maybe slightly above what a normal team goes through. It just seems to be focused on a lot of the same position. Um, but we have a lot of guys who are leaving the program. We have uh, the disqualifications, which is, you know, you only think of it as like a, a couple of player here and there, but it's been like four or five guys, um, all of whom pretty much were expected to make some kind of impact. Um, you have the wrists uh, like Marcus Blair, who uh, I, I'm fine with Syracuse taking wrists uh, on kids who are, are questionable qualifiers. Um, I think maybe doing it too much might not be the best thing. Um but I think to try to overcome the talent deficit that you face with other teams, I think it's, it's worthwhile. But uh, it seems like far too often it bites Syracuse rather than getting the player through. Um, so it's uh, it's tough to to really know why these depth issues continue to plague the program. Um, it was very easy to point to with Marone. And I guess 2013, I'm looking now, it was 19 kids. So um, a couple of whom didn't make it. So I guess that probably didn't help. That's not close to a full class, but... Uh, it, it is a bit strange, and I don't know that all of the blame should be put on the coaches, but um, it is kind of a an interesting confluence of things that have uh, have hurt the team in terms of being able to withstand injuries and withstand you know players not panning out. No, I, and I hear that, and I think you know, and you know, this isn't to to 
point a bunch of fingers, uh, just more to to point out a, a, an oddity, I, I guess with, with with the way SU does things. Um, but you know, I, I think those questions are going to be louder, maybe clearer um, as the weeks go on. Um, looking at the NC State game a little bit. Um, Dan, are you assuming that, that, that Zach Mahoney is going to be under center in this game? I think we're hoping he is. I think we're assuming that Eric Dungy is dealing with uh, you know, a concussion or, or something similar. Um, so do you, do you think Mahoney's it, the quarterback? And, and I guess even if he isn't, do you hope that, that the decision ends up being that he should be? Yeah, I think unless Dungy is like 100% healthy with no... I mean, if it's not a concussion, then there's a lot less risk for him to suffer another one right away. But I just think it makes the most sense to, to let Mahoney go out there. He's played um, quite well. I mean, the numbers don't quite bear it out, but considering you know the offense being a lot different and, and how he's being asked to move the ball, I think he's been pretty game to, against two uh, really tough opponents. Um, I think for whatever reason... it. And, and you watch the games twice, so you probably have a better sense of it. But it almost feels like um, kind of paring down the playbook and, and shifting to this option attack has almost made Lester a bit more effective as a play caller for Mahoney. Uh, he seems to not try as many things that um, might not work. He, he kind of seems to go and limit the play calling and just allow him to do the things he's good at. Um, and I, I think that's probably helped. Um but overall, I, I just don't think if, if Dungy is the quarterback of the future, which I very much think he is, I just don't think uh, it's worth risking um, further injury if he's not, like, a thousand percent healthy. Agreed. And, you know, you brought up a good point there, too, with the offense. Um, people keep wondering, you know, why does the offense look more fluid? Um, you know, why does it look better um, with Mahoney out there? And, and yeah, the, the answer is exactly what you said. And the announcers brought it up, too. It's that it's a simplified playbook. Everything's really kind of, for the most part, run out of... Um, you know, that, that split back set. Um, and, and what they do is the same thing that they were doing really successfully earlier in the year against easier opponents, which is, you know, you have split backs, you set a guy in motion, um, and everything's pretty much run out of the same formation. Um, and, and it really just, it, it is a pure option play. Um, I feel like for a while, Dungy was doing that, but then that turned into a lot of him taking off very quickly, um, a lot of him taking hits unnecessarily. I mean, Mahoney... I love Dungy. I think that he's a great playmaker, and I really you know love the energy he's brought to the program. But I think right now Mahoney's a smarter runner um, and, and knows better how to protect himself. Um, I think they're about the same speed wise, but it did seem like Mahoney just had more you know land and space in front of him. Odd, especially for someone who can't really throw the ball. Um, but in general, yeah, I, I think that it was a it was an easy offense. They maybe had two or three formations max they came out of, um, but you had. You know, five to seven plays minimum coming out of the same formation, um, and then you obviously switch out personnel. Um, you give different looks on the routes. There, there was a lot there that I really, really liked. Um, Clemson sniffed out some of it, but didn't sniff out a ton of it. Um, and you know what? Against the worst team, and you have, this is where you start racking your brain about all these games that we struggled offensively and lost. Um, if you run an offense like that, <coughs> excuse me, um, this is the type of thing that, you know, could have turned into more this year and, and, and is probably going to be ammo for, you know, any talk of bringing everybody back next year is like, well, you know, if, if, if you run this offense, 
with these players, these are the results you're going to get. Um, so yeah, I, I liked what I saw, um, and I think we'll probably, especially if Mahoney's out there, and I think he will be. Um, I think we're going to see more of it against NC State, and I'm curious to see how a defense that that isn't as you know uh, quick and, and and isn't as deep as Clemson's um, how how they how they read and react to that. Yeah, and I also think it helps that uh, surprisingly, I mean, I know he's not um, like a refined passer, but Mahoney's not been playing hasn't been playing quarterback that long in his career, college or otherwise. Uh, and he's just really, really good with the option. I mean, he, there were only maybe one or two plays where he um, didn't make the correct read, I don't think. Uh, and, and obviously, there are, he maybe got totally flooded and there was no real great read. But um, I think Dungy's way more effective when he's kind of improvising and rolling out and scrambling. Um, I don't think he's a great option quarterback, at least not yet. Um, Mahoney's a fantastic option quarterback. And, and that's really his one um, above you know, plus still, I think his, his arm is a, a very much a work in progress, but he does that one thing really well. Um, and the fact that Clemson, it's not like Clemson never sees the option. I mean, they played, um, I, they play Georgia Tech, which is a different type of option attack. Yeah, they play Georgia Tech every year. Yeah. Um, and that's not the same option that, that we were running, but you know, same principles apply. And I'm sure they play at least one or two other teams that use the option at least a little bit. And they just could not, um, even when they stopped at once, I mean, uh, there was no, you could never quite tell if they were just going to shut it down or, or he was going to break like a nice 12 yard run. So definitely impressive. I don't know how sustainable it is. I don't, I don't know. We'll, we'll find out a lot at this NC state game because they'll have two full games pretty much to watch, um, of the team kind of running, uh, and seeing how effective it is. But, um, it's it's definitely interesting and something to think about. Although I do think Dungy is probably the future of that position, just because I think he has the more uh, polished and and varied skill set. Yeah, I, I do agree. You know, he, I I like Mahoney a lot, um, especially given the positions he's been put in. I think that he's done a lot with 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 very little. Um, I do think if, if Dungy, you know, his career gets cut short because of injury, and hopefully not, um, I do think a scholarship player is going to have to come in there. Um, you know, and, and take over that job, um, no matter what point it is. But, you know, Mahoney has done a lot of things right, and, and I know we talked about it internally, we talked about it um, in the comments section. You look at some of the reads that, that Mahoney made. I mean, he didn't... It's not that he made terrible reads on passes. He actually made really good ones for the most part. It was just he just couldn't put the ball where it was supposed to be. Almost reminded me a little bit of what, you know, Peyton Manning was going through before he was removed um, from Broncos game on Sunday, is that... You know, Mahoney just doesn't have the arm strength and the precision to get the ball there, but he was, by and large, pretty close um, on a lot of them. And, and I guess my only question is, if Dungy could run the option in a similar way, would he still have the same looks out there? Because if he could, you know, he, he, he'd run for 150 and, and, and throw for 300 a game. I mean, everything was wide open. And again, that might be because Clemson was was definitely cheating toward the run, knowing that Mahoney couldn't throw, but... You definitely saw something there, um, and, and, and something that I, I don't think can just be explained away by by a certain quarterback's strength or weakness. Uh, you know, th- this is an offense, and I, I don't want to give Lester so much credit as to call him, you know, anything more than, than a competent offense coordinator right now. But um, there are some moments where where he draws up a play that that really really works, and he has an offense that right now forty percent of the time is is 
really, really effective. Now he needs to find a way to get that, you know, up above, you know, 50, 60, and then we start talking extension and everything else. Yeah, and I will say, if Schaefer comes back, um, this might be counterintuitive because the greater offensive numbers are pretty bad, although I think a lot of that is related to the defense not being able to drop the field. I think they would look better with a competent defense, which we've pretty much had every other year under Schaefer. The defense has been at least okay. Um, I would like, I'd be interested to see how Lester come back. I, I don't think we would, I think if Schaefer comes back, I think pretty much the whole staff is coming back and you're just going with that. I don't, I don't think you need to mandate a new coordinator at either spot. Um, but um, we going back to the depth thing, just because I was doing a head count uh, while we were talking there, um, that 2013 class, the first Schaefer class after Marone left, uh, we had 23 kids, including like a guy like Alaric Perry, who was more of a, a walk-on, but 23 guys counted uh, on, I think, Scout is where I was looking. Uh, only 14 are still on the roster, and only a handful of those guys are, like, legitimate factors in the team. So I think that's probably where you can point to the depth issues. That class really did not pan out. Yeah, and I know that there's a lot of other caveats to that class, too. You know, you had um, a late scramble. I think well, we'd lost more than 50% of the class. Um after Marone left, the only thing that kept a bunch of guys around was the fact that, you know, Schaefer had been there before, um, so it was at least some continuity, but, again, that gets back to my point, and a lot of other people's point, that if you're continuity higher, you really need to be able to do more. Um, I, I, I will say that um, you're right, if Schaefer, if Schaefer comes back, um, I don't think it needs to be a wholesale change. That said, um, you know, wouldn't be it's not that I wouldn't be crying like Chuck Bulla is, is a good defensive coordinator um, I think last year he would have probably gotten more interest for a bigger defensive coordinator job this year I'm not so sure um, but you never know um, I, I think I think one of you know Dowsley um, or, or Bulla seems likely to, to leave on their own accord um, especially if they don't really like where things are going or, or don't feel optimistic about where things are going. I think the I think Lester could stick around, probably will stick around unless Schaefer's forced to make a change. And then that could be something that we really haven't discussed of like, if Schaefer comes back, is he, is he brought back with, you know, the, the mandate from Mark Coyle of here are candidates that I've vetted out already. Like, tell me who you could potentially see on your staff. Um, and, and, you know, these will be guys with, with NFL experience or, or Power Five experience, or at least you know MAC level experience um, as coordinators, etc. I think the the one guy I might need to go, and I I'm not in the business of calling for people's jobs unless it's something really egregious. Hi, George McDonald. Uh, but uh, other than that, um, I think Fred Reed has uh, has worn out his welcome. Um, I just think the secondary, you know, the defense did a really nice job in the last three quarters, probably of the Clemson game. Uh, this past week, but beyond that, I, I really have been sorely disappointed by everything I've seen from the secondary. And before these young kids um, get any worse or pick up any more bad habits, because there's a lot of talent there um, and a lot of upside, um, I, I think it's time to 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 let him go. I just don't think you can have no changes on a staff for two straight years after two straight three and nine seasons. Yeah, I'm a, I'm more meant the coordinators. Fred Reed, like we've talked about it, even in the Clemson game, like there were plays where. The guys just, they never look back for the ball. They never, like, make a play on on the ball in the air. It's just, 
unlike anything you see taught um, if you've ever like been around an offensive back practice at any competent level. So uh, I agree there. I think um, I just think if you're going forward with Schaefer, uh, I think you want to allow the systems to progress. And obviously, the defense has been awful this year. Um, you clearly can't sugarcoat it, but. I trust after watching uh, 2013 was a pretty good defensive team outside of the Georgia Tech game. Um, Florida State and Clemson were just ridiculous that year, so I don't count that too much. But then last year's defense was awesome. Um, it just didn't get any help from the offense. And then obviously Schaefer's four years as D.C. were all between above average and very good. Um, so I trust that there will be a rebound there next year. Offensively, I kind of want to see what Lester can do with the ball in his hands um, more than he's had this year because the defense gives up so many big drives and with a, a full year of a full offseason of knowing his starting quarterback is going to be back and understanding the playmakers. So I don't know. I, I think that um, it's almost a tough position to put Schaefer in to give him one year, um, even if you probably resign him as we've talked about, like you can't make him a lame duck, but if you give him a one-year extension, but then say he has to replace the offensive system, then you, you know, there's a chance someone steps in and, and succeeds right away, but there's a chance that it's not going to be any better because you're starting from square one and maybe the guy doesn't have the exact right pieces. So I, I think you, if you go forward with this coaching staff, I think you kind of, unless someone leaves, you have to kind of uh, see what this staff has next year, and if not, then it's probably wholesale um, from there. Agree completely. Um, I guess to close the book on football for this one, at least temporarily, um, what do you think happens on Saturday? Again, we're probably assuming that Mahoney's playing, um, and I'm going to assume Fredericks is out, but um, with those two things in mind, uh, yeah, h- how do you see this going down in Raleigh? Uh, I've just been bitten too many times with this team against uh, comparable opponents. I am not a big NC State fan. We kind of rag on them all the time. Um, I don't think they have a win over a winning team this year. Um, but they play uh, good teams hard just like we do, and they win the games they're supposed to. I think NC State will take this one by between 10 and 14 points. Yeah, I've got the same. I know uh, I'll have a Q&A going up with uh, Back in Pack, SB Nation's uh, NC State site tomorrow slash today for those listening. Um, yeah, and I think I, I think I went 30 to 23. Um, sounded about right. Um I think that the option can do something against them, but at the same time, I just, you know, I, I think Brissett, we saw what he did to us at the beginning of last year's game, and I think that there's a lot a lot of similar things he can do to us. I also think that uh, Samuels, their, uh, their tight end, is a very Tyler Boyd type who, uh, who who's, who's going to do some unpleasant things to us, unfortunately. Yeah, we'll see. It would be nice to get a win. I, there's no real advantage to losing. We don't get a higher draft pick, and people joke all the time. So, um, whether even if you're rooting, I mean, there are some people who I think it's weird to blindly uh, support Schaefer. I think it's just as weird to get so vehemently angry about the thought of him coaching again uh, that you're like not, if not rooting for the team to lose, like you're you're almost rooting for yourself to be right. Um, so I think both of those are probably the wrong stance. So obviously I want the team to win. Uh, I would love for Schaefer to pick up two big wins and have some momentum going forward. That'd be great. So um, obviously, even if we're critical of the coaches, I, I think obviously you agree. We would love for them to go and win the next two games by like 40 points each and then make this a very easy decision for everyone. You bet. I know. Uh, yeah, I don't, I, I don't travel cross country once a year to see a team. 
to uh, to watch them lose. So I definitely, I'll be at the game on Saturday, and I fully expect, well, not fully expect, I optimistically think that my streak of SU wins while I'm in attendance could continue, but we'll see. Uh, SU, don't let me down, please. But moving on to halftime, as per usual, uh, Dan, what have you been drinking uh, for the last week? Um, a lot of the standards, uh, I've had some Brooklyn Lager, I've had some Goose, uh, Goose Island, which is easy to find everywhere, um, some different stuff from Captain Lawrence. The one, uh, that stands out that I haven't had before until last night, um, I had, uh, Stagmeyer Pumpkin Ale from the Lion Brewery. Um, it's one of the more, like, understated, almost pale ale-y, uh, quite, you know, nice flavor, but very drinkable, not too heavy. Um, one of those kind of pumpkin beers, kind of like the, the Post Road Pumpkin Ale is. Um, definitely more a beer flavor with, like, kind of a hint of pumpkin, which I know a lot of people prefer. Um, but definitely quite good. So I hadn't even seen this one before, um, but thought it was on tap last night where I was. So uh, definitely recommend that one for a more moderate uh, pumpkin beer selection versus like pumpkin, which is obviously very heavy, uh, and a lot of those types. Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm looking forward to hopefully grabbing some uh, my first and maybe only pumpkin of the year uh, down North Carolina next week. Um, I'll end this weekend. But some things that I had once I felt better and was on antibiotics. Um, let's see. I was down at the brewery briefly. Had to pick up uh, some beers that I'd ordered there. Had some interesting stuff from them. Had a Prairie Roo, um, which is a collaboration with uh, Prairie Arts and Ales uh, down in Tulsa. Uh, for those who are unfamiliar, really, really enjoyable beer. Uh, super drinkable. Uh, if I hadn't been sick and was going to be around in a couple weekends, probably would have grabbed a growler fill. Um, ukulele, which is a chili beer that uh, they had made. Really interesting. Kind of a golden ale with, uh, with some ghost pepper action on the back end. I'm not a big spicy beer fan, but it really uh, really had a nice kick. Um, had myself a Thrill Seeker IPA from Beechwood um, that I picked up when I was down there. And then um, this afternoon, we were at the office and looking for some beverages and grabbed uh, Stone had their Chocoveza, uh their uh, kind of you know Mexican hot chocolate um, inspired milk stout um, some nice cinnamon, chili peppers, vanilla, um, nice nutmeg. Um, they have them in six packs this year after having them in bombers last year. Uh, very, very good brew. Um, for those who haven't seen it on the shelf, would highly recommend grabbing some. Are you, uh, are you overly upset about the ballast point news or are you going to assume we're going to be okay and still have pretty good grapefruit sculpted going forward? See, I feel like the purchase, in this case, I mean, a billion dollars, dude, go for it. Like, I don't give a shit. If, if, yeah. if, you, have, if you have anything worth a billion dollars and, and somebody's willing to buy it and, and you you can still be heavily involved and still have control over your own. Like, that's the thing. This isn't this isn't Coors or Miller or, or AB, and AB owns all of those now. Um, you know, buying something, this is Constellation, which is, yes, they own, like, Modelo and Corona, but, like... They, they don't really control the, the ingredients and the process the same way. This is more about distribution um, and, and getting Ballast Point, to be honest, in, into more bars and restaurants. And, and I think that's a good thing for everybody. Um, I don't really think they're going to touch the ingredients. I don't know how much the price is going to change. Um, if anything, it would go down, not up. 
because um, balance points pricing really can't go up much more than it already is at. Um, but yeah, I, I think that this is the <coughs> excuse me. This is this is the lesser of of the evils that that come out of purchases. Um, and, and yeah, I, I I'm optimistic that that things are going to be just fine. Yeah, I think their stuff is like it's pretty. Uh, I think most non-beer drinkers would probably appreciate it more than they would like the normal IPA, despite it being it's it's pretty hoppy. Um, at least the Stulpins are, um, but they're not going to buy it to ruin it. So I agree, and I think even like the stuff with the InBev. Um, obviously, I haven't been twenty-one, you know, for ten years. I've been for you know, drinking legally for like four and drinking like good stuff for uh, about the same. But um, I don't know. I almost feel like it, it's. It's almost like a, a boogeyman type thing where maybe there's some things are affected, but even with like Goose Island and some of the others, I haven't noticed like a, a giant drop off. Yeah, I mean the only one I've really noticed a dro- uh, drop off isn't even uh, you know a, a macro takeover of, of craft. It's Green Flash's purchase of um, Alpine is the only thing that that showed like a real market difference to me at least. Um, I mean, the Elysian stuff tastes just the same as it did. The Golden Road stuff, I mean, it wouldn't be affected right now anyway, but hasn't really tasted different from the minimal amounts I've had since uh, the purchase. But yeah, I, I think Green Flash has had a, a bit of a negative effect um, on Alpine, if only because Green Flash is one of a handful of breweries that just, you know, have like a signature hot profile and, and that, that you can always kind of, and a signature malt profile, you can always just, you just know it's that. Like, I mean, Rogue has this. Um, I think New Belgium has it. Um, Stone definitely does. Um, Prairie does for sure. Um, I just think that, like, when it comes to um, Green Flesh ha- as a very strong one, I think that bleeds through far too much in the in the Alpine beers, and, and it's changed the character of them of a bit too much for my liking. Yeah, that's fair. I've only had the Alpine thing, the Alpine beers, a couple times, so I wouldn't even have a good frame of reference for them. Fair enough. All right, uh, moving on to basketball. Uh, basketball's two and zero. That's great. Uh, how we got there wasn't as great. Um, Dan, biggest problem through two games is it the amount of minutes we've had to log on our best players? Is it uh, problems at the center position? Uh, is it the fact that we really had to fight? against two lesser opponents what's your what's your biggest red flag before we continue into some positive things um i think it's everything concerning the the post for us i think uh, it's very obvious daywan coleman is not all the way where we need him to be probably not even close and Beheim talked about that last night um and this team just does if this team doesn't hit like a moderate amount of shots it's going to get ugly uh this team um, obviously, Tyler Lydon did some nice things uh, closer to the paint last night uh, down the stretch, and, and Roberson had uh, a really strong night on the board, but he was really the only one, uh, and then he fouled out. Um, but this team definitely needs to find some kind of identity around the hoop. Otherwise, you know, we're just asking for teams to extend the defense way out and, and make us shoot better than like 35% from three. Otherwise, it should it things to get really troublesome. So, um, I think last night we rebounded well after a really, really first, uh, shaky first, like 27, 28 minutes of the game. Um, 
but it definitely kind of exposed what the uh, the issues are, and I don't think they were a major secret, but um, something is going to have to happen with the centers, I, I, whether it's uh, Coleman kind of getting back into the groove and, and finding himself, or Avoco becoming more of a factor. Um, I think Leiden gave a valiant effort, but he clearly is not the guy. Like, he should not be playing the five more than a handful of minutes, and we had him there a lot last night, so... If he has to play like 15 plus minutes at the five, we're going to be in some trouble this year. You know, I think part of the issue too, and this isn't to, I mean, obviously not his fault, but, you know, last year's offense um, kind of just pivoted off of whatever Rocky and Christmas was doing. I think now you're looking at a much different offense, and um, I, I think you might have an expectation by. Uh, you know the guards to to maybe feed the post a little bit more that than these guys are ready for. Um, I think you might have a, a reliance on some of the the returning shooters uh, to say, oh well, you know we can utilize the paint a little bit more. I think that the paint's going to be not a weak spot, or at least hopefully not a weak spot, but you know it's not going to be the way we score points this year. And I think that's a big shift uh, for a lot of these guys, and and it fairly or unfairly puts a, a, a huge onus on. You know Trevor Cooney and Malachi Richardson in particular uh, to to pick up the load a little bit, while Benajay uh, seems to be a jack of all trades and really doing a ton. Um, I love love what they're doing defensively. I, I think you know Leiden's really been impressive with, with, with steals, but I think you're looking at you know Benajay, Cooney, and Richardson just seem to be um, you know ha- have a nose for the ball. Um, Cooney in particular has really kind of ramped up his uh, his defense. Obviously, he's always been a big high risk high reward guy. But um, I know this will come out in one of the roundtable questions we have coming um, the next thing, couple days. But my one issue is that Benajay is being expected to do a hell of a lot this early, um, and it's only going to get worse as the games get tougher. I just I hope that he has the wheels to 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 keep this up um, because if he if he falls off, if his shooting falls off, if he has an off night, I I'm pretty worried already yeah i just think um for cooney it's so much of his identity is as a shooter and he that just hasn't shown up this year and he's never been consistent um it's almost unfortunate because he like you said he played really good defense i think he had six steals last night um he's been doing quite well with the other facets of his game he just is such a high volume shooter and and has never put together like a stretch like we saw from like Andy Routens who was by the end of his career just a total knockdown guy um so it's unfortunate hopefully he does come with that but uh luckily he's not the only shooter on this team this year um Richardson I think is fantastic I'm excited to see him going forward uh I think Leiden's a very interesting player Um, hopefully more at the four than the five uh but ultimately uh, I I'm Encouraged by what we've seen from Benajay and, and Richardson and a couple others. Um, especially, I mean, Benajay had, like, one of the quiet 23-point games I can remember. I, I assumed he was at, like, 18 before I looked at the bot store. Um, another factor, which I said to some people last night, is this team going into the year was expecting to have uh, Mustafa Jang on the, on the roster, who would have been, I think, through two games, I think he would have been a very good player for this team. Um, if only to provide depth at the center position, um, even if he's not like a true five, he's more of a four slash five. But um, that's a pretty important body that this team thought it was ha- getting until late in the summer. Um, so that really hurt us because obviously there was no time to go pick up a, someone to replace the, the minutes that we were expecting for him to lock. 
Yeah, I, I mean, it brings up a great point. You know, I mean, and I said it earlier too. The minutes are are insane. I mean, Benajay's playing already at this point. Usually, you don't see this in a Bayheim team. Benajay's playing almost full games. You know, Cooney's playing almost full games. Richardson's already playing. You know, almost thirty three points a game. Like the this reminds me a ton of the uh, the oh seven oh eight squad already, and we, and we really don't have the injuries to to back that up. Uh, you know, Johnny Flynn was logging 38, 39 minutes a night. Um, this seems a lot like that already, where we're going to need, you know, Richardson, uh, Cooney, and Benajay in particular to log 35-plus. And I, I just, again, it's it's a team that's going to run out of gas. Um, you brought up Cooney, too. I think he does so many things well away from shooting that it's, He's really only out there as a decoy because he's still going to jack up the same amount of shots, whether he's a quote-unquote shooter or not. I mean, out, out of the three players that are that are taking the most shots, he uh, he actually he has the lowest shooting percentage, at least from three. Um, he has the lowest shooting percentage of anyone not named Tyler Roberson that's, that's regularly seeing the floor. I mean, that's not the guy... Um, that, that you need out there for 39 minutes, and that, that sucks. He's a senior. He should be a leader. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, w- whether he needs to be encouraged yet again to to drive the lane or, or come inside the arc or do whatever he needs to do to, to get his head right, um, I mean, he, he's scoring 15.5 points a game. So this isn't to, to belabor the point, but it's to say that, you know, this is a guy who needs to to get his head right and, and, and maybe redefine himself if three-point specialist, and right now, based on the numbers, it isn't, um, you know, it isn't his calling anymore. Yeah, and, and I would love to see him take the ball to the hoop more. Obviously, he's a very good free-throw shooter. Um, he's very, he's invaluable to have out there at the end of the game, and he's probably our most steady ball handler, to be honest. Um, so I, I think he needs to be on the floor. Uh, I kind of agree. I'd like to see his, his three-point volume go down, especially because we have guys, I mean, pretty much everyone else is at least a threat, so it's not like Cooney has to be out there, because otherwise we, we don't have anyone who can even think about knocking one down. Um, I think the Caleb Joseph thing is, is kind of a mystery. He, I thought he looked, I mean, I, I didn't see all the first game I was at, out to dinner, so I didn't have a chance to watch the full the full game, but I thought he, uh, from what I saw, looked um, like kind of a different player, like he could be kind of an explosive guy off the bench, Potentially, and then last game he was a total non-factor. Um, he only played—I uh, don't think he played in the second half. He only played four minutes against the Bonnies uh, after 14, where he scored eight points against uh, Lehigh. Um, so his whole role, obviously, Beheim. There's always mind games and, and stuff going on with him. Um, he can be very short with that, certain guys and can give other guys as much rope as, as they need. Uh, Cooney, especially. Um, I think we're going to need Caleb to be a, a player this year. I don't think we can afford him to just be, you know, riding the bench and getting coming in for spot minutes here and there. I think he needs to be a factor. Yeah, I mean, do you think that Caleb Joseph is uh, is your signature Jim Beheim Doghouse Player of the Year? It certainly looks like it, <laughs> like by all indications. <laughs> I mean, Howard is a freshman. Freshmen only go so far, um, especially when they're not superstars. Uh, Aboko is the classic, you know, reserve big who is very limited. Um, Coleman has his injury. You know, he's just obviously shaking off rust, but I think he would be out there more if, if we could afford it. I mean, the fact that Caleb only played four minutes last game, um, I know it was a close game, but 
it's kind of astounding, especially because he didn't play at all during the stretch run where we actually opened it up. Yeah, and I mean, Joseph, I mean, it's not like Joseph is a guy who played sparingly last year um, and then is kind of working his way in. I mean, this isn't like a Tyler Roberson a couple years ago situation or, or any of the other doghouse guys who eventually work themselves into really solid to, to great rotation players. I mean, this is a this is a guy who Beheim was talking up. It seemed like he was really getting better. You, you saw the tape, and, and Joseph really did seem to be getting better. Um, he's put in great numbers. You know, he's not... He's not perfect, but, you know, in the limited time he's had out there, I mean, he's still scoring, you know, four points in, you know, four points per game on, on a, you know, nine-minute average. I mean, that's, to me, that that's really productive. And he's also, the one thing he's, he's doing really well that the other players, um, you know, Benajay Cooney and Richardson in particular, aren't doing is, is he's, he's really protecting the ball more. You know, he's only got one turnover in his time out there. Um and, you know, Benajay, Cooney, and Richardson right now, seven apiece. I mean, they're, uh, overall, they're, they're not really doing us any favors in the uh, assist turnover ratio. I mean, they're not, they're not dishing the ball out all, all that often. Um, and then they're also turning it over more. I mean, um, Benajay is the only one of those three that actually has more assists per game than turnovers per game, which is uh, not a great stat, especially against the caliber of opponents we've faced. And uh, it's definitely disconcerting. Um, and, and that's, I think, another reason why, like, Joseph needs to be inserted, even if it's gradually um, more into this, if you, even if not a ball handler. As, as, as a sure shooter, I mean, you take away Cooney shot 17 threes already and only hit five. You, you take out five to seven of those and throw them over to, to Joseph, who seems a little more shorthanded from three right now um, and, and through the offseason. Who knows? You know, maybe, maybe that gets the scoring spark that we need. Yeah, and I do think that Lehigh and, and, and St. Bonaventure, obviously they're not big games, but I think those are both probably better than your average low-major team um, that we see this early. Um, I don't know much about Charlotte and Elon. Uh, it looks like Elon beat Charlotte pretty handily in their season opener. Um, so maybe these two teams will be a little bit easier uh, to deal with, but um, I do think Lehigh and St. Bonnie's were probably a bit of a step up from what we're used to in terms of like the early season fodder that we uh that we play and overall this schedule uh is definitely something that's a, a bit more challenging with the tournament in the bahamas and then wisconsin georgetown back to back and then you know, st john's is pretty awful but they're still a name cornell's never you know cornell's often pretty decent so um i think the normal monotony of like really easy games is broken up pretty well this year um but hopefully we'll get back to like just beating teams pretty handily and can get guys like Joseph and Howard and Aboko more run and, and hopefully expand this uh, this rotation a bit more because usually you don't want to have your guys playing, you know, have five guys playing 25-plus minutes each. Uh, it just isn't healthy this early in the year when you're going to need those guys all for the stretch run. Otherwise, the season's going to be a very long and, and ugly one. Agreed. What's the... Uh, I know we're kind of wrapping up. What's the, uh, the, the one storyline that you hope you and I are, are kind of going back and forth on with this basketball team uh, next week when we chat? Ooh, next week. Uh, so how much do we have? Uh, what do we have before then? Um, I guess we will not have played in the Bahamas yet, or we will have just started. Uh, I, ho- I, I kind of hope it is um, some of these bench guys kind of finding a, a role. I, I just don't think we can afford to have uh, a seven or even like a what right now looks like a six and a half man rotation. I think 
we really need seven or eight guys who can all go out there and play minutes. So hopefully Joseph works through whatever uh, is keeping him in the doghouse and, and Coleman continues to develop. Um, if we get like one really nice name in a Coleman, I think that'll do a lot to assuage the fears of the fan base. Agreed. I think, you know what, and I'm fine with him being slow to develop this year, I but I, I do think that that requires a little bit more out of Leiden and Roberson in particular. Um, obviously, Roberson does his usual uh, crash in the boards. He's, he's done a great job, um, especially, you know, on the offensive glass. Um, but but what I think we need to see from him is some sort of offensive prowess. Um, it's been a struggle in the past. I know it was. we always laugh at that one quote um, about him as a jump shooter um, from one of his previous coaches. But you don't have to be a jump shooter to, to put up more than three points per game, especially when you're out on the floor for 25 minutes. I think if Roberson can, if Roberson can give us eight a night, um, I think that that right away um, changes the tenor of, of how this team plays in the paint. Uh, and, and I'm curious to see you know how his game changes and, and how quickly he could potentially be back in the Bayheim doghouse, um, you know, if, if he doesn't start scoring. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like things are open for him because there are so many shooters. The, the floor should be spaced pretty well where he can operate from, from 8, 10 feet out. And we saw him last year. His, his two best games of the season were against Duke. Like, it, there's this guy is not overmatched talent-wise. He's played against some of the best guys in, in the country. Um, he shot. He was, was fantastic in those two Duke games and a couple other games down the stretch last year. So, and... and there's never room for two people in the Bayheim doghouse. The Bayheim doghouse is a is a one has a it's it's one vacancy. Uh, Joseph, I think, is pretty solidly there. Um, there's not room for Roberson to be in there as well. So he needs to. Uh, we need him to find his niche and and find a way to add something to the offense. Like you said, it doesn't need to be 14 points a game. Eight, great. If he's giving us eight and eight night, uh, and there are nights where he goes off and is doing a 15 and 12 that's great uh, but it needs to be something it can't be like one basket in two games or whatever it is right now agreed uh and that's a good place for us to wrap up um i'm assuming you have us beating elon um by upwards of 10 points next well, this weekend i i know nothing about elon i hope that we're winning by you know 15 i, I would be okay with either with anywhere in that range Fair enough. All right. Um, and on that note, uh, Dan, thanks a lot for joining, as always. Yes. Uh, have a – hope everyone has a happy uh, one of the last couple football weekends here. Um, and, obviously, we're getting in the swing of things with basketball. Uh, and, obviously, we'll talk to everyone before Thanksgiving. So, no happy holidays yet, but it's coming up. So, hope everyone's excited. Yep. And I will be on East Coast time next week. So, Dan and I will be chatting on Tuesday – so everyone will get to listen to that a little early before your Thanksgiving holiday. Perhaps you'll download it as a podcast for your trip to wherever you're going. Um, in the meantime, be sure to rate, review, subscribe to us on Blog Talk, on iTunes, whatever other service you use for your podcasts, and uh, go Orange. Go Orange. <laughs>